بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ پیس اینڈ بلیسنگز اف اللہ بی اپون یو ویلکم ٹو انادر ایڈیشن آف دی بریکفسٹ شو ہی آن دا وائس آف اسلام ریڈیو ٹوڈے از ونزڈے دی سکسٹ آف ڈسمبر ٹوینٹی ٹوینٹی تھری اینڈ ود نور الدین جہانگیر السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ ہاؤ یو ڈوئنگ وعلیکم السلام ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ پیس بی اپون یو ٹو ایم ڈوئنگ ویری ویل تھینک یو ویری مچ It's a bit of a nippy morning, but... It's a bit nippy, yeah, it's a bit cold. <laughs> it's, it's that time of the year, but... Anyway, let's try and enjoy it. It's the festive season coming up, so... Hopefully it is the season. We'll, <laughs> it is the season to be jolly, yes. So let's have a, let's have a good show, and let's... Um, I'm really looking forward to just speaking with you and discussing some of these um, important subjects which are going to come up. Uh, speaking of those topics, um, we're going to be talking about three main things uh, d- uh, during, the course of, uh, during the course of this show. And we'll talk about the news... Uh, we'll talk about the news and of course the, the weather in just a bit as well But just to give you an outline of what we're going to be talking about uh, on today's show We're going to be talking about the art of journaling um, And how it can be sort of uh, helpful for self-reflection and also analysis We spoke a little bit about this in one of our previous shows as well um, Where we spoke about journaling, writing, you know, keeping a journal, writing yeah. a diary And how that can actually help your mental health how that can help with you know with the, you know with depression with loneliness as well mm, how to channel anger in different your different emotions so we'll talk a little bit more about that i mean with seasonal with depression well. coming as well yes, you know absolutely, <laughs> the weather absolutely being the way it is um, might be might be uh, like a very useful technique to, absolutely. to overcome our absolutely. difficulties um after that we're going to be talking about as we as we are doing anyway um talking about the you know the conflict and uh, voice uh, voices for peace which was um, an initiative um, taken by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community or launched by the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community as well voices for peace to urge the world leaders that we, we this is the critical time for peace this is the critical time for negotiations for dialogue and what we need is a well, an absolute ceasefire not just a ceasefire for a couple of days but a complete ceasefire to end the war, to end the conflict which is happening as well. And that is how we can sort of navigate the road to harmony in these, ta- in these sort of times of, uh, of conflict and the, 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 you know, the problems that we're seeing and we're facing in this day and age. The thing is, is that a lot of people think here in the West that this is a war which is just happening in the Middle East. What they don't understand Some of them do understand, but most of them don't understand that if it spreads, if it doesn't stop, if it spreads, it, you know, the, the consequences of that, it's not just going to be limited to that region, but it's going to spread to the to the West as well, to the Western nations. It's going to affect them also. And I mean, just, I what, mean like, just yeah. sorry to cut in. I mean, remember the war in Ukraine when that started as well? Yeah. Everyone thought, look, okay, it's just, uh, you know, between those two countries. Yes. But that had a profound effect on so much of the world economics on the availability of certain products in the in the in the school in the in the shop sorry yeah and you know prices in general everything went up because of because of this war that was happening in a yeah. in a different land in a different land so exactly. that's a kind of a precursor or like you can say you know, a lesson that we can learn from you know what's happening here as well is something which will not it's a f- effects of which will mm. not just be limited to the area as you're saying uh, to mm. that region it will affect the world It that is something which is holy and this has a Muslim worldwide head of the Muslim community has been saying for a while as well. 
people are worried that it'll spread just to the neighboring region. He's saying, no, I'm worried it'll spread to the whole world. To the whole, <laughs> the whole world, world will be exactly. affected by it, yeah. That's the problem. That's the problem. And it is 100% true as well. Um, something else that we're going to be talking about, uh, I mean, in regards to um, renewable renewable energy, in the UK, there is renewable electricity. But how close are we to actually, um, you know, to, to actually... Reaching 100%, re- yeah. Reaching 100% as well, isn't it? So these are three topics that we're going to be talking about. Uh, of course, uh, the lines are open at the moment. If you want to give us a call, tell us what you think. What's your take on these uh, on these topics? Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call. Our social handle is uh, at Voice of Islam UK as well. You can also you know tweet us or uh, leave us any comments on our Instagram page. Also, um, so just talking about the news and uh, before the news, uh, the the weather. As you've mentioned, it is a bit it is a bit nippy today. Uh, the BBC reports that today there will be a lot of fog as well. Fog will slow, you know, slow to it will be slow to lift in the south before returning increasingly cloudy and windy from the west, with rain reaching northern Ireland, Wales, and far western Scotland will be like that as well. It'll be drier, bright, uh, a little bit elsewhere. This is for the for the morning and afternoon but tonight will be cloudy and wet for many places with the uh, hill snow in northern england and scotland of course and um the and in the east we'll see the rain arrive towards the end of the night with clear spells early on turning more windy as well but tomorrow will bring an unsettled day across the uk and strong winds and outbreaks of rain will be there as well that's what uh, the bbc is reporting also, hill snow will, gradu- will gradually turn into rain later on, drier in the southwest and west in the in the evening, and a milder day compared to or relatively uh, compared to today. But the outlook for Friday onto the weekend will be staying largely unsettled on Friday, with showers, especially in the southwest. Winds will ease in the north. Saturday looks to see a a, a band of heavy rains sweep through from the southwest along with strengthening winds a dry antidote in uh, is, is likely to be uh you know to, to be welcomed overnight before a band of showers push in from the west through sunday and it will be a little bit more milder but especially in the in the southwest as well so it is going to be quite wet and you like you mentioned this is the season um that you can feel you know quite sad you can get the <laughs> yeah. Uh, the winter, the winter blues as well. You can get seasonal depression, like you mentioned, but it is also the season uh, to be to to be jolly. So let's you know, let's try our best to be as jolly as we can be with you know with with the current situation that we are facing and we are seeing here and there. Also, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, all around us, we see all the decorations going up for Christmas. You know, yeah, it's like a month long, or sometimes sometimes even longer than that. Um, preparation up and build up up to the up to christmas yeah well if you look at the news i think the the conservative government finally got the early christmas present um we're talking about you know the deal with rwanda yeah uh, so i was going yeah. straight into it how the metro has um you know headlined with it. it's a done deal um home secretary james cleverly is pictured shaking hands with the rwandan foreign secretary and the pair signed a new asylum treaty with rwanda who will take illegal immigrants on behalf of the uk and it also said that, you know, how Mr. Cleverly said that he felt very strongly that the treaty addresses the, you know, the issues that were raised by the Supreme Court, you know, for the previous deal, how they, you know, they were rejected. How they, how they rejected it. Yeah, yeah. So he said that this is definitely, um, you know, dealing with all those, with all those fears and concerns. 
But I think they got their they got their way in the end. If I mean, it, even if it's a middle middle way, it's not exactly the full yeah. deal that they wanted. Um, they're going to start deporting. <laughs> they're going to start. They're going to start deporting. I mean, that was something which was uh, initiated um, earlier on as well. I mean, obviously he was not the one who initiated this plan. He's just following through it. Yeah. And it seems as if the government is very, um, very keen um, since the beginning of this sort of project to sort of you know deport. Uh, people, people to Rwanda. Yeah, and now they're finally they've got the heads up, the green, yeah. the, the green light, and now that's what that's what they do. That's what they're doing as well. I think I think there's even um, even many conservatives are kind of against this this deal, against yeah. what they're doing, and ten of ten of the ministers are actually threatened to quit, um, you know, government um, ahead of the you know the, the if the, and and they're prepared to resign if the if the prime minister presses ahead mm. with the, with this hardline plan. Right. And the Daily Telegraph has also, you know, they mentioned this that you know up to ten ministers are threatening to quit if the government adopts this approach um, on Rwanda and uses emergency legislation to get around the European Convention on Human Rights. Yeah, and also observes that um, they thought the legislation will not be published before Wednesday amid wrangling within government. So you can see there's some kind of internal dispute about this, some yeah. um, discord. Something's not quite right about it, but you know they've got they've gone ahead and they managed to do some kind of deal. Um, you know, for a lot of people, that might be fear, might be scary. Um, you know how the how our home secretaries have been of the past. Yeah, very hard line. Very, you can say, uh, strong when it comes to um, these sort of immig- policies. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, immigration, deportation. Yeah. Even though they are themselves immigrants, <laughs> if you look at it, I mean, if you look at it yeah. from that perspective, it's uh, it's almost as if they they they've sort of forgotten who they are. Um, it's 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 a weird one, isn't it? Yeah. It's a weird one. Um, but st- but still, you know, obviously, let's hope for let's hope for the best as well. But the the concerns which the uh, which the you know the the, the inter- you know with the with the international laws and of course the 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 Supreme Court as well. Yeah. Obviously, they have real real concerns for for the people. But sometimes it seems as if those you know the, there are a handful of nations which can which you don't have to listen to, which don't have to listen to them. They can veto anything that they want. Absolutely, yeah. They can say whatever they want. They don't. They say, you know, we want. We've got our own pro- program. We've got our own rules. Um, we want to do what we want to do. Who are you to tell us what to do? But they can only say that because they are, you know, one of the world powers. They are one of the stronger nations. But if there was a weaker nation trying to say that, they will get turned over, Absolutely. and the tables will be turned. I mean, you know, you wouldn't even ex- expect a smaller nation to actually. To actually do that, but you know, obviously, let's hope for let's hope for the let's hope for the best. Um, you're talking about a lot of ministers have actually left or or or, or threatening, or, to, or threatening to leave as well. We've yeah. seen in in the recent years, um, months and years that because of different situations, um, because of the war that's happening right now in the Middle East or the war that 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 was, that was happening or continuing to happen as well. In the Russia Ukraine as well, yeah. Um, a lot of you know when pol- pol- policies were being shifted, this and that, and reshuffling was happening. A lot of ministers actually left. Um, you know, also the the Tory MPs, and obviously the, you know the, the ministers they, they they left. Some some of them came, some of them got introduced. A lot of reshuffling was happening, and this has been going on since uh, since David Cameron, isn't it? I mean, he uh, after him, we've had so many, so many prime ministers who were not even elected, or you know, voted in, 
Um, and uh, not, not seems, by the people anyway. Not by the people. Not yeah, by the people. By their own party, <laughs> which uh, you know, which goes against uh, which goes against the, the policy anyway. Um, but still, uh, talking about talking about how the prime ministers have actually done their job in uh, in you know in in these things. There's a bit of a you know one of those situations where we look at it and we see we see that you know how can it how can it get a little bit iffy after this one but then everything you know then every <laughs> next to worse it seems, worse. To, get, seems remember, to get worse and worse you remember the um the, the lettuce chal- the challenge versus the previous prime minister yeah um they were saying how who's gonna who's gonna outlast, <laughs> outlast gonna. The other. i think now they've even started doing the same for rishi sunak will yeah. he outlast this lettuce because yeah. of the public uh, the outfall public. he's got yeah, he's got i mean i mean his uh, his his predecessor uh, I don't know if you remember, but, he, but she was only there for a month. <laughs> <laughs> that lettuce was holding strong. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, obviously, obviously, let's hope for let's hope for the best uh, as uh, as well. Uh, but you know, when the next general election comes, but you know what the problem is when if we talk about if we talk about the two parties, the Tories, and the and the Labour Party, a lot of people who voted Labour. F- for a long time yeah. right even they are saying you know we're not going to vote for labor ever again and that goes to show that what labor used to be is not what it is right now yeah i've heard many like analysts and experts saying how yeah if you think that labor would have dealt with things very drastically differently to what the current government That's are doing that's where you're wrong then you're wrong yeah. they would have been it would have been more the same so i mean it goes to show how labor has also changed and it's been a, it's been quite evident in the way that they've cha- changed their stance on many on many subjects such as Brexit, um, you know, the immigration. Um, you know, there's yeah. lots of there's lots of different things here and there that we that we're seeing a kind of change in the stance, change in behaviour from Keir Starmer and from the from the leadership of yeah. Labour. Yeah, we have, and it goes yeah. to show that you know they're probably closer than than we realise in their you know in their views and their policies. That's and the their, thing. That's their principles. the thing. A lot of people are thinking. A lot of people are saying that you know. We're not going to vote for Labour now. We're going to vote for 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 something else. I mean, um, maybe Lib Dems, or maybe they have a better chance. Yeah. Um, some people even said the Green Party. They're going to vote for them as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some of the policies are all right, but um, you know, it's about you know get, getting power. Obviously, you think it's, Green Party is going to win over the Tories. Yeah. The thing is, it's when you have broken promises. Bro- when yeah, you go, when, you're, when your party that you're voting for is promising you certain things. And you know they have these things in the deliver. manifestos. They yeah. don't deliver, and this becomes a recurring theme. Then you just lose hope. You lose trust in that government when they promise you things. Yeah. And they and they you know clearly are going against that, and they change their policies midway. Yeah. Then you can see that you know this is this is not a party I'm willing to trust anymore. And a lot of people feel like that, and so even like very hardline conservative voters. Yeah. They're turning away from. From them, and you can from you've seen that from the pre- yeah. previous yeah. Uh, local elections and regional elections. You see how they've lost a lot of seats, and people are people are, are tired. People are you know they don't want to continue with this trajectory that we're on right now with the conservative government. Yeah. But again, I don't really see many any like other party which is ready to step up to the mark and you know take things forward in the right direction. Mm. Again, Lib, like Lib Dems, how much do we know about you know the yeah that's true. You know the policies on certain things, the 
do they have the support of the backing of the country to to get mm, to the stage to where, they're, stage. where they're the main yeah. party? I don't know. Yeah. When it comes to Labour, a lot of people are being ang- being angered by by their approach as well as we've already mentioned. So it's a tricky one. It's a tricky and one. the politics in the UK are just getting messier and messier and muddier than uh, by the day. I mean, if we if we look over you know over the over the ocean as well, if we look at mainland Europe. Yeah. Right. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, the, you know the presidents the prime ministers the world leaders or the, you know, the the leaders of those countries of the european countries we've seen a sort of a a a a, a change in the way that they, you know in in their approach not just in europe but we've seen that and we are seeing that in the other countries such as you know the new president of uh, of uh, of Argentina, yeah. I mean, he, you look at videos from him, and you you think that you know you you know you know when Trump came into power when he became the president, you thought, you know, how can this sort of person become a president? And then now you look at the you know president of Argentina, and he you see it seems as if he's worse than Trump. I don't know if you've, know, you've seen any videos Remember, of uh, any interviews of yeah. him. But uh, the way that you know, the way that he said that he's going to get rid of this, he's going to get rid of that. You know, no, zero tolerance for this, zero zero tolerance for that, and you know, waving, waving the, the Israeli flag, and all of these. I'm not saying that's the wrong thing, but what I'm saying is, is some of the things that you know his policies, and uh, some of the things that he said that you know he's going to implement, he's going to do. It looks very, it looks very bleak. And also, you know, if you look at in Holland as well, Holland. Um, G- literally, just wanted to say that. Um, was just wanted to say that he's clearly a right-wing politician, and yeah. he's got very hardline views, especially when it comes to Islam. Yeah, you know, but especially here, when it comes to Islam, yeah, but yeah. we're not, we're not afraid of that. You know, we're here, the voice of yeah. Islam. We're here to present of the course, true teachings of Islam. Course, and I feel that, I feel that a, a big portion of why he's doing, why he has the views that he has about Islam is because he doesn't, he hasn't been taught the true. Teachings of Islam. He doesn't. Mm. He is not aware of what Islam truly aware, teachings yeah. on certain matters, and he's he's formed his opinion on based on prejudiced views and you know biased sources. Based on fiction, not based facts. on fiction. Yeah, and One probably thing, also yeah. The, the the sorry, also yeah. the the actions of of certain Muslims nowadays. That's also something yeah. which uh, you know that not everybody is. You know, you may be you may claim to be a Muslim, but not everyone's actions will be in line with the teachings of Islam. That's so and you true. can't base so you can't base your view on certain people's, you know, behaviours um, and, you know, that kind of blanket, uh, carpet blanket. Everybody, just yeah, everybody, yeah. every Muslim is like this. So this is the big problem is Islam. That's a big problem. Yeah. I so, mean, that is what the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, yeah. the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community stated as well, that Islam is, in, th- in this day and age, is being attacked from both ways. Internally, from the the behaviour of some Muslims as well. Yeah. And obviously some Muslim nations, but externally by, 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 the, by the West, by the media, and how they have a prop- they have an agenda to create this propaganda, um, in trying to you know m- sort of shape this image of Islam, a negative image of Islam, and not sort of tell the people what the actual teachings of Islam are as well. But this is what we're doing. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to fix those problems, those prejudices, those that propaganda, and trying to address that as well. I was just going to say a funny uh, sort of funny thing in regards to him that I've <laughs> I've, I've heard that. You know, he he bleaches his hair quite often to make him more blonde than it than it actually is. Yeah, and he wears uh, uh, blue contact lenses as well. <laughs> pure race. He's a pure race. I mean, it's <laughs> converted to the pure race. Converted to the pure race. I, know. I mean, if you see Hitler, he he wasn't blonde. No. Was he? No. He wanted that. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it's 
it's, it's higher Aryan race is what yeah, he's, he's that's, after. That's what. That's but anyway, what, that's I mean, it, it appeals to uh, you know a certain hard like right movement. You can say. Yeah, Italy. And, Italy is the same. Yeah. It, they have they have sort of a similar, not that extreme, but they also have a right wing uh, leader as well, and uh, and some other some other West, some other European countries also. Like I mentioned, Germany as well. The A the ADF. Um, they also are gaining more seats, more power, and they are, like you know, they are against uh, they are against foreigners, especially when it comes to Muslims. And mm-hmm. they say, you know, we're not going to build any mosques. We're not going to allow anyone to build any mosques as well. Yeah. Um, so that that's sort of the the, the, the shift. Yeah. Uh, I mean, sev- right it, it is everywhere, but you can clearly see how. I think social media plays a big role in this as well. The polarization of views, and you can really go down rabbit holes when it comes to yeah, you can. certain. Um, once once you've started clicking on a few it's the posts, algorithms yeah it's the algorithms that get you like they, they'll show you more and more to get you very much polarized when it comes to your the view that you have on certain hmm. topics as it as is. I mentioned when it comes to immigration yeah you'll see all these negative things about especially muslim people coming from the east and um then by that time you know the social media the, those companies who are advertising these kind of things they've the you know the the agenda's there and it's and it's clear to see that they've really got a hold on you hmm. And you know, you did, you don't even have to look far within our own country. There's people like that. There's very hard, hardline right wing uh, people who have their views, which which seem very absurd to to a lot of people. But for them, that's reality. Mm. That's a reality that they've um, been seeing and hearing on you know on their feeds and on their social media, on the news. All that all that stuff is what they see, and yeah. that is what they form their their opinion on. Their opinion on exactly, exactly. I mean, I mean, there are, there are still like it's not all doom and gloom. There are so many, I'd say, some leaders who, who you know, are doing things in the right way. If you just look at the Spanish prime minister as well, he's gone and spoken to Mr. Netanyahu um, and told him we must have a ceasefire. We cannot allow these thousands of, hmm. uh, you know, it's already it's already appalling how thousands of Palestinian innocent people innocent have lost people. their lives, exactly. and we must stop this. So I mean, you know, even some people in you know they've lost their their posts in the minute in the government yeah. as well for yeah. speaking up, and that's happening in certain places. And I think, I think there is a turn in the tide, and you know, Israel. Like we're going to go on to the subject, I know, but um, in a little bit, yeah, a little bit. Later but on. it's it's clear that a lot of people are showing their support for a ceasefire and for justice. Yeah. It's not about which side are you on, Palestine or Israel. It's about sanctity of human life. It's about justice. I mean, that's the main thing, yeah. isn't it? That's the main thing to to protect the human lives as well, especially the innocent people. Yes, right? and helping them as well. Like you mentioned, we're going to be talking a little bit more about that um, in in one of our segments as well. Um, I mean, this, the Guardian. Like yeah. going back to the like the new, the front page, the print, front pages of the news. Yes. Even the Guardian has said like how you know the conditions in Gaza is apocalyptic now. It's like end of the world stuff uh, because of the blocking of aid. This yeah. is what the UN has been been uh, warning about. You know, the, how can they do any kind of meaningful humanitarian aid? How can they bring that into the to the Gazans when now even the south is not even safe? Where they've been told, you go to the south, you'll be safe there. We'll stop. We won't be bombing there. We'll be bombing in the north and other areas. Yeah. And now they're bombing the south, and it's like everywhere, every inch of Gaza is unsafe. And the funny thing is, is that Israel they they claim to say that oh we we gave our warnings that we're gonna bomb this place, yeah. or we're gonna bomb that place. What what good is is what good are those uh, those warnings? Where are they supposed to go? Where are they supposed to evacuate? If you're saying you know we're gonna bomb that place, um, very soon, where are those people supposed to go? You can't yeah. just quickly pack your things and and there's uh, nowhere left to go. There's nowhere left to go. Yeah, literally, there's nowhere left to go. 
But like you mentioned, we're going to be talking about that a little bit later on as well. Um, just uh, very, very quickly before we take a break and go into our first segment. Um, Arsenal at the top. <laughs> Arsenal at the top. Uh, top I knew you were going to mention this <laughs> Arsenal fan. <laughs> Arsenal with their late dramatic I win. mean, that was, uh, I don't know if you saw it, or the highlights of it. I didn't see it, but I read it, about it. It was a roller coaster. Yeah. Was it, it was 4-3, a, it was a four three to Arsenal yeah. versus Luton Town. Yeah. 97th minute. And that was basically the last um, touch of the game. Basically, basically. Wow. I mean, it was past the allocated extra time. I mean, now, I mean, now they're doing what they did in the World Cup, isn't it? They're giving more extra time. Yeah. Um, because there was some sort of uh, there was some sort of uh, analysis which was done. Like obviously, there's 90 minutes on the game, right? Mm. But a lot of the time, the actual game time is much less than that. Yeah. It's near near to half in some games. Oh wow. And uh, there was a there was a study done in regards to uh, Atletico Madrid, right? Yeah, they are very they're famous. The, they're the worst for that. <laughs> they, they are literally the worst for that. Yeah. I think the game time for them was less than or close to like thirty to forty minutes. Thirty to forty minutes in a ninety-minute game, literally. That's how Simeone park, plays. Park the bus, kick, kick, kick the ball off the pitch. Literally park the bus. <laughs> Get one literally. goal, nick, nick the game. That's it. That's literally it. That's literally waste as much time as as possible. So this. <coughs> The dark arts. Uh, personally, yeah. <laughs> personally, personally, I mean, you can call it tactical or not, but personally, I do think this is a good initiative which they've um, which they've introduced, and um, get, giving more extra time, you get more value, more, more play, yeah. you get more value of the, of the game as well, I guess. Exactly. Which you normally lose out when you're watching Atletico Madrid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's uh, you know th- that's the football. Hopefully, hopefully your team does uh, does good as well. Has a has a comeback. Uh, let's not talk about Manchester United. <laughs> the less said, the better. Let's not, let's not, let's not talk. Let's not talk about. Are they still in the Premier League? Yes, they no, are. no, no. The Champions League. Champions League, obviously, Premier League. <laughs> Come on, not relegate right now. No, they they are, but there's very, very, very slim chance. Like beating oh, by, beating it? Bayern Munich and then hoping for Galatasaray and Copenhagen to draw. Mm. Um, which is very. Well, they have to beat Bayern Munich. We have to beat Bayern Munich. Yeah, which is not going to happen. First of all. <laughs> That's this is coming from a, a former hopeful supporter of Manchester United. Emotionally detaching has probably been my best tactic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, hopefully, hopefully they do. I might, I might have to something. start. I might have to start journaling after this. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to. You might have to. And we're going to be taking a short break, and right after that, we'll we'll come in to our to our first segment of uh, of. Uh, this morning, and like you mentioned, we're going to be talking about the art of journaling and how it can be a source of help when it comes to self-reflection and also analysis as well. We'll be back after a jiffy. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. As I mentioned uh, before, we're going to be talking about journaling and how that can be a great way to improve your emotions, your mood, even your immune system uh, as well. Absolutely, and like I mentioned, there'll be a couple of weeks ago we spoke a little bit about this in, in in a different perspective as well. How keeping a journal, writing a diary can actually help with your with your emotions, 
can help you, you know, emotionally, physically, and you know, like uh, a study suggests, your you know internally as well, in such, such as your your immune system. So there are different benefits uh, for that. We're going to be talking about different things in regards to this, but get, just to just from the outset, let's speak to a guest, which you know, which uh, they'll tell us a little bit more in regards to this. So Sarah Reese, we're going to be speaking to her, who is a therapist in private practice with two decades of experience in mental health starting her journey as a mental health nurse and uh, spent the last 10 years as a fully accredited CBT therapist. Peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the show, Sarah. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. It's lovely to have this opportunity and talk to everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining us uh, this morning and speaking to us about such a... Such a it's, it's an important topic. So I think a, a sort of a less topic that most people would actually talk about but mm-hmm. uh, I think it's an it's an it's an important one as well. But just to I mean, I said that you're you're a mental health therapist. But could you just tell us a little bit more as your what you do, um, as you know, what's your role as a mental okay. health therapist? Absolutely. So I'm a registered mental health nurse, like you said, twenty years in the field of mental health. But I'm I'm working primarily now as a cognitive behavioural therapist. So I um the underlying principle of CBT, which is most commonly known as is that our thoughts and how we think impact how we feel and then what we do and impact our motivations so I help people become more aware of the their mind and the patterns of the mind because if we have more awareness of our mind and you know lots of people come to therapy for this but journaling is another great way of becoming more aware of your mind with awareness you have more choice over how you operate and what you do if you can slow down your mind, slow down the patterns, then you can think, is this thought helpful for me or is it another more helpful thought? And we can, you know, our minds are constantly evolving and changing so we can cultivate our minds to work in a way that's really helpful for us. So I work in private practice. I work with people that um, have a range of anxieties or um, mood disorders well, actually, I'm working with people now that just want to be the best version of themselves. I think the stigma mm. of mental health is reducing. Yeah. We're understanding more about, like you were saying, how our mind can affect our physical body. If we are storing stress in the body, we are um, impacting our immune system and that will cause health problems. Sarah, like, you know, we talked about how, you know, it's, it's a seasonal depression coming as well, you know, with this this weather that we're currently experiencing. Yeah. You know, mental health is a very important subject, um, a very pertinent one in this time of the year. Yeah. How could you convince somebody that, you know, because a lot of people turn to, they'll turn to medication, they'll turn to, you know, social circles and, and all these things, that, you know, they have their place. But how can yeah. you c- convince them that, you know, journaling is a good way to, to overcome your, um, you know, mental health issues and the, and the problems that you're going through? And, you know, how, who would you be like... Um, convincing to do this is it children as well or is it just the elderly who who who, who? oh everybody would benefit from this and i think the key thing for when we're trying to um help people make decisions about the way they care for their well-being is by going to the research you know cbt is heavily researched we know it works and we know journaling works there's scientific evidence that if we um let out our mind if we speak our mind, if we write it down, then that releases cortisol and, and stress hormones. Mm. So when we hold things in, in our body and we, you know, 
try and block things and push things down, it creates stress in our body. And when we release things, it you know, it improves our well being. And I think also it's sometimes about just giving things a try. You know, we all know that going to the gym is really good for us. But yeah. It's really hard to do, isn't it? But I think when <laughs> and, to, and to maintain as well. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I'm always still working on that. But if we, you know, one of the ways that I got into journaling was just kind of writing about the things I do day to day and how it makes me feel. And then I can see that journaling really helps me, going to the gym really helps me. And it's so when you see the evidence of things changing in your life, that will keep people journaling and doing what's best for them so let's say i'm somebody who started a journaling now um mm-hmm. i want to write down my emotions how i feel the things that i've done during the day i want to know what are the the, the forms of what some what are the some what are some forms of reflective journaling that can actually improve my mental health you know I, as, hey, as you is, said it's a good way yeah. to oh, sorry it's a good way to like uh you know get things out as you said instead of like pen penting all the you know all the emotions up inside yeah. um, but what are those forms that will help me actually um, improve my mental health this is such this is the number one question is kind of where where do i start and what do i write that's what i hear all the time so there's two ways key ways so you can do a very structured approach where you use um journaling prompts you can get lots of these online as a cbt therapist i often recommend that people start by in if they're going to do a more structured approach just thinking what am i what are my thoughts, how am I feeling, and what are my intentions, so what am I behaviourally motivated to do as a result of this. So you just really, and this is hard to do, if you are not used to tuning into your body and your mind, this is like, well, I don't know what my thoughts are, I don't know how I'm feeling, you know, but you have to think that if, you know, if you're, you're then working on autopilot, which means that you have less choice over what you're doing, you're just operating very reactively, and actually, we want to slow that that down so we can have more choice over things. So, um, so it's hard at first, but you can do thoughts, feelings, and behaviours and intentions. Yes. Some people do gratitude journaling because we have our mind has a negative cognitive bias, so we're always looking for what's going to go wrong or what has gone wrong. We're really hardwired for that because it's good for our survival. So, if you can tune in with, well, what's gone right today? Um, what's you know what's working well for me and gratitude for the love and the people you have around you then that's brilliant for our well-being there's really lots of research around that if you not only write it down but you um, engage in the emotion of the gratitude so you really feel it yeah. great your your health so there's structured ways some people do um compassionate letter writing as well writing to people they love and that induces feelings of well-being and also if you're really angry like somebody really annoys you it's a very visceral response and they say that anger's like a hot stone it just hurts the person holding it do an angry letter don't ever send it Rick is afterwards we'll <laughs> be in trouble if they, get, if they reach the, the people <laughs> yes i don't want loads of angry letters going out after this so but getting it out is brilliant and then there's unstructured unstructured writing, which is also a great place to start, which is just set a timer and write for 15 minutes and just go for it. Uh-huh. And you're just writing a stream of consciousness. Just let things off your chest. And just yes. finally, just, you've, you know, you've been a, a CBT therapist for for the last 10 years, right? I fully accredited. Yeah. So I'm yeah. just I'm just thinking, what what has your experience been for those who have started journaling? 
How has their mental health improved? What are the changes you saw in them? I think it's it's feeling like they have more control over things. Um, and it also gives people a clarity of the mind. Often in therapy, when people come to therapy, they'll say, as I talk this through, it actually doesn't make sense or I'm, they start to see another way. Now, you can't have a therapist in your pocket every day, but you always have a pen and paper. So writing it down um, gives you a clarity and helps you be objective over things, so it helps you make more sense of things. So they generally get a sense of um, reduced stress, more clarity, and the biggest thing is having a sense of control over our thoughts, how we feel and what we do, and knowing that you can influence that rather than just life happening to you all the time. Wonderful. Sarah, that's been, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Um, I'm um, seriously thinking, thinking about writing down some emotions. Get writing, well. get writing. Yeah. And hopefully our <laughs> listeners, well, they're you know they're you know they're, they're taking points from this, and you know will help help people who are suffering with different just mental health issues. Just give it a try for a week, every day, ten minutes for a week, and just see what happens. Thank you very much, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Sarah Reese. Uh, it's been an actual pl- absolute pleasure. Have a great rest of the day, and uh, try to enjoy you the too. weather and be thankful for for what we have in life. <laughs> the Absolutely. gratitude aspect is very important. Job. Yes, absolutely. Thank, Thank you. Very you. Much. Thank you. Bye bye. That was Dr. Sarah Reese, who's uh, you know a therapist in private practice with two decades of experience in mental health. And as we said, you know she for the last ten years she's been a fully accredited uh, co- uh, you know cognitive behavioural therapist. Um, I mean, what, she, yeah. I mean, <coughs> why not? Just give it a go, isn't it? If you're yeah. feeling in some type of way, if you're feeling some 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 emotions, especially if you're angry, yeah, and you want to channel, you know, you want to channel that you're feeling sad, you're feeling depressed. We'll just write it out. Exactly. Just we all feel down at times. It's it's, yeah. it's it's human. That's hu- it's being human nature. to you know to have yeah. different ranges of emotions. Yes. Um, how we deal with it, maybe we haven't been able. Maybe we haven't heard of the tools to to deal with it properly. Yeah. I mean, this is just another way. There's another way that we you know from from the from the experts are saying how it really has helped people to really think logically mm. and to think through their emotions. Why am I feeling this way? Um, <coughs> is it is it is it right? Is it a genuine time to feel what I'm feeling right now, or is it, is it, should I be feeling something else? I think writing it down is something that might be a way for some people to really, you know, to really overcome the the issues. It's it's good because, like you mentioned, it, it is a way to overcome your emotions as well. A lot of the time, when you're when you're sad, when something traumatic has happened, yeah, and you need someone to talk to, um, maybe talking is is a good thing as well. But sometimes you might not have that person to you know to to talk to as well. You can just you can just write a letter. You don't have to always send that letter. Yeah, but you can. You can um, you can write you can write your emotions down, and after you've done that, it feels as if that burden on your chest has become so much lighter. And yeah. also, it's the same thing when it comes to anger as well. When you when you get angry, instead of you know going out there and starting raging out and becoming angry at the other person, just you know just write a letter. You don't you know don't send it as well. Yeah. But you know if you if you write it after you've written it, you must uh, you might feel. As if you know your 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 chest has gone a bit lighter, your shoulders have gone a bit lighter as well, and you're yeah. you're 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 more at ease, and you're able to think logically after that. Yeah, and there's something I was reading as well is that when you do start journaling, you may feel at, at first that your emotions are actually getting worse. Right. Now the reason behind this, from from what I've read, is that you, if you if you start journaling, you have to also acknowledge your emotions, and if you fail to acknowledge that you know I'm feeling this this and this. And you're just hiding it deep down. Yeah. 
then just writing it might make you feel like you know oh, I really don't want to feel this anger and stuff you know this is something I don't really want to tackle yeah you have to acknowledge it you have to know that you know the that there's underlying issues for what I'm feeling or whatever it is this is what's causing it once you've acknowledged it then you can get to the stage of overcoming it so you know don't like don't just give up is what I'm saying like if you do start journaling don't just give up just because initially you're starting to feel the emotions are getting worse yeah you have to you know look deep down inside you and see what is going wrong why am i feeling this way um you know what has caused this is it something which, is it trauma is it ptsd is it something that mm. you know something that yeah. has been hap- happened to me from a long from you know from a young age yeah there's the 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 many factors that you know that can be involved in in such a thing but uh, again again Absolutely. you know from you know from what we've just heard as well from from Sarah Dr Sarah she said that you know that there is definitely it's, it's well documented as well from the CBT as well that the that there's a lot of benefit to this and people can really get things off their chest getting things off their chest is a really powerful way to to then overcome any mental health issues that we are facing and this is a this is one of the reasons why people write journals as well i mean this is the, this is also a difference between journaling and also writing just a, you know just writing a diary in a diary you might just write your you know the daily events that you that you you know, that, that you that you've done but in a, in a journal yeah you don't have to write every single day uh, so that that's what makes it different to a diary as well but also if you do write every single day it's not sort of you know I did this this and this and this but it's more more of the more of the feeling perspective you know I I did this and I felt like this I was happy I was sad yeah. and writing your emotions as well like you said first acknowledging your your emotions you know making sure that you're not a robot you do have emotions yeah. but just admitting that yes you you did feel happy for for some reason you did feel sad you did feel angry and talking about your emotions can be difficult at first but yeah. you know it can prove to be um, very very helpful as well yeah. i think there's another there's another aspect to it as well because people they become overwhelmed when they have a number of issues in their life they don't know how to tackle them writing things down helps you to then prioritize you know this is the main issue that i'm facing how am i going to tackle that or this is the easiest thing i can solve right now let me let me try and get that solved first and then we'll move to the next thing yeah. so it's kind of a systematic way of to then dealing with um, whatever issues we're facing one by one and you know if you didn't if you if you don't journal then it's hard to then you know to to visualize yes. where my issues are and what i can do to then tackle them yeah even even completing day to day tasks as well if you if you know that you need to complete x y and z yeah. and you write that down as in front of you the whole day that can that can you know reassure you and tell you that you know you need to complete your task because there's certain amount of things that you need to do yeah. if you need to do something but you don't write it down you can you you know you can forget you can sort of give more priority to something else and yeah. you, you might not get your job your 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 work done and i i felt in my own life as well sometimes when i have a lot of tasks at hand yeah and i'm thinking where do i start what do i do and you end up procrastinating yeah and you think That's like oh, i'll just put it off a little bit i just need to you know just think, think i need i need yeah. a bit of mental uh, relief Yeah. You know, you need a bit of comfort, you need some kind of some kind of peace. But having things written down then you re- actually visualized where yeah, uh, that's true. where your issues are, what what tasks you have at hand, what can I start with, what can I get rid of, you know, what can I deal with straight away, what will take me a little bit longer and you know, then you can start taking baby steps towards um working towards yeah, those goals. Your goals. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one thing which uh, which which we as as Muslims have have been taught is to is to self you know is is, is self analysis yeah and the holy prophet of islam peace and blessings of allah be upon him he has also said that 
in regards to you know in, in regards to uh, the you know the month of Ramadan yeah right he said that those people who fast in this way in, a, in that they have complete faith and they have and they sort of looking at their actions they they're analyzing their actions and they're trying to self reform themselves yeah. as well they they are as if you know they haven't done anything wrong and all of their sins have been have been forgiven for them mm. so and his holiness the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmad may Allah be his helper he has also said that every single night before going to bed before going to sleep look at just look at the things that you've done during the day I did this I woke up I did this I did that I did this I did that literally just analyze your day and think of all the good things that you did and think of all the bad things that you did so sort of analyze think of how, you can, how you can improve how you it the next improve. day as well yeah and the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him said that you know every single day which comes so tomorrow should be better than today and today should be better than yesterday yeah. so every single day you're trying to improve and become a better person yeah. and that is what it means to be a muslim that is what it means to be a true believer to try to always you know to always try and progress even if it's baby step yeah. even if it's little things but th- those things which are done you know regularly and you know improvement has been done on that on a even on a smaller scale is much better than that action which is you know which is done a lot but it's only done like once in a blue moon yeah um, i mean these the, things are important absolutely i think another aspect to Islam and religion in general yeah is that you don't have to feel like you're alone in your issues yeah and you have Absolutely. this community around you you have a community in your faith that help you you go to the mosque you're with your brothers and sisters and you speak to them and they help you and you know you realize that there are that there are people there for me and I'm not alone that feeling of loneliness is a big factor it's in, a big in factor, depression yeah. as well and when you have a community of a structure you can say of those people around you who you know you can rely on then that gives you a kind of launch pad or kind of you can say like a a standing from where you can you know take your next step otherwise it can feel like there's nothing you know there's nothing be- beneath your feet and you're just falling and you're just going into depression yeah, yeah. and you don't know which way to go so you know the religion in general um and Islam in particular you know with the five daily prayers really encourages people to have that that communal feeling that you know that the brotherhood something which islam really promotes where we should all be looking after one another when we stand shoulder to shoulder with our brother or or sister in in prayer we are standing as equals mm. doesn't matter what your worldly standing is doesn't matter what kind of job you have doesn't matter if you have no job doesn't matter if you're a child or an or an adult we all are equal standing shoulder to shoulder that is what islam has promoted, islam has promoted. and you know really i'm i'm it's it's easy to to ignore this or just to just play play you play it off like you know it's just a small thing but it really does help and people who have moved away from uh, religion this is what his holiness has his helper said is that the, the one of the main reasons people are not finding true peace anymore is because they've lost god yeah. they've lost that connection with god almighty and islam is is a religion which proactively brings people towards god once again um in 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 many different forms as we just mentioned Absolutely, I know. You know, completely, completely agree with that as well. Prayer is one of those things which you know puts puts your puts your puts you into perspective that we are all equal. We're standing at the, on the same row. Yeah. A a a king could be standing at the same row as as his uh, as his subordinates. Anyone could be sitting. Anyone could be standing. You know, next to each other, shoulder to shoulder as well. And that will, that is what brings us together. Um, 
Oh, because let's listen to a a short uh, audio clip as well, which uh, which is talking about salat, which is prayer, and how that can be a key, how the, how that can be key to personal assessment, and also improvement as well. Let's listen to that very quickly. Every step we take in our lives must be done with utmost care and consideration. The pleasure of Allah the Almighty must always take precedence. Doctrines and beliefs must be strengthened, but also Actions must be rectified and reformed to such an extent that the world observes the difference between Ahmadis and others. So we need to pay special attention and give care towards the matter, that we must safeguard and protect ourselves from all vices. We must adopt all acts of virtue so that practically we can inculcate a revolution within, and so that we become a model and example for youngsters. so that we become an example for the children, so that we become an example in our homes for our wives and children, so that we become an example for our work colleagues. In our practical state, every elder and youngster should acquire that standard and level where the seed of every vice is entirely uprooted from every single one of us. The roots entirely are cut off. If from amongst the members of the Jamaat every single person does not strive to carry out full reformation, then there will always remain some seed of vice somewhere in the Jamaat. And wherever the opportunity arises, that seed will sprout. So thus, every single one of us needs to completely uproot all seeds of vice in us. It is only then that we can eliminate all vices from the Jamaat and become a true depiction of self-reformation. Allah the Exalted will then also show us scenes of victory and success and our prayers will also be accepted inshallah God enabling. We will attain nearness to Allah the Almighty. May Allah the Almighty grant us the ability to achieve this. Ameen. Ameen. I mean this is something which uh, which prayer brings us, uh, isn't it? It tells us as well, it teaches us. That uh, you know, we need to humble ourselves before Allah the Almighty, and anything that you want to ask for, um, ask God Almighty, and mm-hmm. He is the person, uh, He is the being, who will answer your prayers as well, um, in one way or the other. Obviously, He is the one who created us, and He knows how to how to how to you know alleviate our problems, yeah. fix our problems as well. And it says how it's in the remembrance of God that hearts find comfort. Hearts find comfort. So, yeah. Exactly. That, exactly. That is our source of comfort. Uh, that the is true source. That, that is our source of comfort. Uh, comfort as well. Join us after the break, where we will go into our our next topic, uh, which is we're going to be talking about the the conflict which is happening, the war which is happening as well, and and a few guests that we're going to be speaking to as well. So join us after the news break. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam. We've been talking about um, journaling and how it helps with mental health issues in the in the first segment of the uh, of the show that we've been on today. Um, we're going to move on to our next segment which um, you know, where we're going to speak about Voices for Peace and Navigating the Road to Harmony in Times of Conflict. 
we all know what's going on in the world with um, you know the war that is going on in, in Palestine and Israel and the issues that uh, are being faced over there hmm. um you know but today we're going to speak about you know the how you know with over nearly, over 16,000 people have now lost their lives in Palestine over 6,600 of them are children and 4,300 of the women and uh, you know at least 41,000 people have been injured through this war and you know what with the south supposedly supposed to be supposed to be the um, the safe zone of of Gaza now also being shelled that and bombarded. Also, yeah, it goes to show true. that there isn't anywhere safe to go for the for the people of Gaza. And I've spoken to people there on the ground as well, and I've seen how the difficulties that they that they that they're having and facing. And some people have even told me how the situation that they're going through. And they said, by God, the conditions are worse than what even some animals live through. Seriously? Some animals live in better wow. conditions than we do, and like sanitation, food, water, all that kind of stuff. They're all they're living in conditions which they've never ever could have imagined in their lives yeah so i mean this is the the segment we're going to speak about and you know people say that it's from the 7th of october this is you know the, what was good, destined to happen after that attack by hamas but yeah then there's the whole debate about proportionality you know what's going to happen next how will israel react what are their intentions how what you know do they want to get rid of all the palestinians from the land people speak about ethnic cleansing and all these things but yeah. you know that's not our prerogative right now we just want to speak about you know the facts and speak about what islam teaches and um you know to really bring to uh, bring it down to you know to, to the level where people can understand how you know the attacks are not islamic and at the same time what is happening the reaction is also uh, not morally correct either but i mean we're going to speak to um to uh, a guest, um, and, you know, we have three guests actually. We're going to speak to. Yeah, we're going to speak on, to. On few, we're going to speak to. Uh, we're going to try to connect to you know the the guests as well. Um, yeah, but be, but before we actually try to do that, our technicians just uh, just doing that right now. Um, it, it is important that we talk about that we talk about this aspect of it as well. Like you mentioned, there is this aspect of your proportionality. Yeah, and uh, you know, the, is. The, the 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 reaction of from Israel was that you know was that the way was that the way forward is that the proper way forward or is that too much are they doing too much and has it been years decades of you know of of persecution of ethnic cleansing but that's that you know like like you mentioned that's a different uh, that's a different approach as well what we want to talk about is how we can move forward move and how forward. can we find peace find peace yeah. establish peace as yeah. well. Um, let's speak to our guest um, for this part uh, for this part of the show as well, Uri Weltman, who is the National Field Organization for Standing Together, which is a founding movement member and a a peace and anti occupation activist as well. Peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the show, Uri. Good morning and thank you for having me on the show. Thank you so much for for joining us. Um, just to begin with, can you elaborate? on the specific initiatives and, of course, different projects that Standing Together has undertaken since since October the 7th in leading peace efforts inside Israel and how these efforts actually contributed and are contributing to the goal of achieving the, the peace between Israel and Palestine. Uh, Standing Together is a grassroots political movement of both the Jewish and Arab-Palestinian citizens of Israel operating on the ground inside Israeli society to organize and mobilize for peace, equality, and social justice. We woke up on the morning of October 7th to hear the horrendous news of um, Hamas attack 
on the civilian population inside Israel, the killing of many, and the kidnapping of more than 200 uh, Israeli citizens into the Gaza Strip where they were, are held hostage by Hamas. And our grief for this terrible loss inflicted on our society was further compounded by the fact that our government retaliated uh, with indiscriminate attacks against the civilian population in Gaza, with the cutting of electricity and water and tightening of the siege, with calling on more than one million Palestinians to evacuate from their homes in northern Gaza uh, against international humanitarian law. So for the past two months, our country has really been engulfed in a situation of fear and pain and hurt. Standing together as a movement that operates inside Israeli society, organized throughout this time to raise the banner of Israeli-Palestinian peace, to raise the banner of calling for an alternative path to that pursued by the Netanyahu government, and especially to counter the anti-Arab racist rhetoric uh, that spewed from government ministers. Our Minister of uh, National Security, Itamar Ben-Gvir, who's a fringe ultra-right-wing zealot, tried to instigate violence between Jewish and Arab citizens within Israeli society. He had taken upon himself to distribute more than 24,000 guns uh, to, to militias, to civilian militias forming inside Israeli society, supposedly to protect security, but actually as a way to characterize the Arab minority within the state of Israel as a so-called enemy from within. And we responded to this by setting up local groups throughout Israel called the Jewish Arab Solidarity Guard, small groups of both Jewish and Arab residents, in the, both in shared cities, in mixed cities, such as Haifa and Lid and Yaffa, but also in broader areas like the Lower Galilee, <clears throat> the Sharon and the Triangle area, the Negev area, where Jewish and Palestinian citizens of Israel live in nearby towns or in nearby villages. And these local Jewish-Arab solidarity groups responded to the rise of racist incitement within Israeli society by doing joint initiatives, by um, organizing mutual aid that helps both Jewish and Arab families badly affected by the war, and by de-escalating tense situations. I mean, you you mentioned the different places of... Uh, Where to? Oh, I think it's cutting off a little bit. Can you hear us, Yuri? I think we've I lost... hear you well. Can okay, you yeah. Me? Yes, yes. I thought was, I think it cut off just for a little bit. But if you can just repeat the, the last bit that you, that you were saying. Yes, I was saying that we set up these local groups throughout Israel, both in shared cities, in so-called mixed cities, such as Haifa and Lid and Yaffa, but also in broader areas where Jews and Palestinians live uh, in neighboring towns or in neighboring villages, in the Negev, in the south of Israel, yes. the Galilee, in the Sharon and Triangle area, and so on. And uh, some of the activities that these local groups were doing are, for example, erasing uh, racist graffiti and replacing it with bilingual graffiti in Hebrew and that's, Arabic, that's really calling for equality and peace. I was going to ask you about this because... Um, setting up posters. 
Yes. Yes. Is there is there a slight? I think there might be a slight delay in when we when we when what we hear. But anyway, I think you mentioned about Haifa as well, and I know that that was held in the you know the mosque of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community there in 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 Haifa, and um, you know how how did that go? And how, you know what kind of effect does it actually have on the people? Like you've mentioned about removing graffiti and replacing it with you know the bilingual messages as well, and release you know reducing the tensions between the different communities. But what, what's the actual impact? Like, is it actually making an, uh, any profound effect on the people? Is it actually helping to towards um, establishing peace? What are the tangible uh, effects? It is changing. It helps change atmosphere inside Israeli society. Yeah. Some of our government ministers, uh, who are staunch opponents of the idea of a shared life and shared society between Jews and Muslims and Christians, Jews and Palestinians. Some of them were hoping to see a rerun of the events of May 2021, where there were incidents of intercommunal violence on a large scale inside Israeli society. But these actions that work on the ground to de-escalate help establish a different atmosphere. You mentioned the event we held in Haifa, in the mosque of the uh, Ahmadiyya community in yeah. the Kababir neighborhood. Uh, this was one of almost a dozen Jewish-Arab solidarity rallies, which are mass gatherings of hundreds of Jews and Arabs attending each that we organized since early November. Every three and a half days in average, there has been one of these mass rallies in a, a city somewhere in Israel, either in a Jewish city or an Arab city, or in a shared city, drawing a crowd of hundreds, 400 in Jerusalem, uh, 300 in Tel Aviv, 250 in uh, Tamra, 350 in Baka el-Gharbiya, and Haifa has been our most successful rally yet, drawing a crowd of 700 Jews and Arabs who packed to its full capacity the mosque at the, of the Ahmadiyya community, yeah. Uh, listening to speeches by Jewish and Arab peace activists, including the Amir of the Ahmadiyya community there in Haifa, Muhammad Sharif called Odeh. for yeah. a shared society. Sorry? Is it Muhammad Sharif Odeh, the, you know, yeah, the head the, of the community the, there? Yes, the Amir Muhammad Sharif Odeh, who welcomed the big crowd uh, to the Ahmadiyya mosque and called in his speech for shared existence between all those who live in this land, who called in his speech for uh, opposition to violence and opposition to discrimination and racism, really powerful words that resonated well within the big crowd that gathered at that mosque. Um, it was especially important that he opened the door of the Ahmadiyya Mosque and Community Center for us because the event in Haifa was originally supposed to take place at a different venue. Was that the town hall? Was it the town hall? in the city. Yes, I think I, I yes. remember that, yeah. It was a community center owned, owned by the municipality, owned yeah. by Haifa Town Hall. But due to pressure from extreme right-wing activists who tried to pressure Haifa municipality to deplatform us, to cancel the venue, we had to change the position of the event, the location of the event, at the very last minute. And it was due to Amir uh, uh, Muhammad Sharif Odeh's um, welcoming gesture toward us that he opened the doors of the mosque and the community center to our event, invited us to attend, hosted 
the events at the community center there and provided a venue for this important event to take place. And I mean, for that, we are very grateful. Absolutely. I mean, when, when there's a will, there's a way. And, you know, our communities are clearly working towards peace and we want to establish peace and, you know, harmony. Because there's a history, there's a rich history between the Jews and the Muslims of, of living in, you know, in peace and coexistence and harmony and love and taking care of one another and, and the rights of one another. So, I mean, it's very, it's very uh, heartwarming to see that your community and your, you know, your movement has been doing, su- making such efforts. And as I said, every three, every three days there's something being held. I just wanted to ask one final thing, um, because you said you've been tried, they've, they've tried to cancel you, the right, you can say the right wing. There's a lot of people who are in settlements and have, uh, which have been termed illegal, who have very extremist views when it comes to um, an Ar- Arabs. And you hear even children uh, reading out slogans that you see videos of them in schools and stuff saying a, a good Arab is a dead Arab. And that kind of thing is something which I know is not the view of all the Jews, of all these people of Israel. So how do you tackle um, such views, such extremist views, and how do you deal with them and to reduce those tensions when people clearly feel that they cannot coexist Well, the education system in Israel has been for the past 20 years under the dominance of extremist politicians. One minister of education after the other came from uh, right-wing parties and used their position as ministers of education to, to push for their agenda within the educational system. For example, changing the curriculum on the teaching of history so that history taught in a very one-sided way, or changing the curriculum in civics classes that people are not taught about the universality of human rights or uh, civil, civil equality, equality before the law. Some of the ministers of education um, um, made an effort to prevent human rights organizations or civil society NGOs that operate advance equality between Jews and Arabs within Israeli society from, uh, from engaging in educational activities within the formal education system. For example, some of the ministers of education put out orders prohibiting schools to invite speakers from organizations that promote equality or from organizations <laughs> that promote human rights. And w- Sorry? I'm saying it's absurd when people are trying to promote peace and, and, and those voices are being cancelled out. We need the voices for peace. <laughs> it it's really is a dangerous development, but yeah. it is politically motivated because those who are in power in Israel uh, for many years are, um, are bent against such an agenda and uh, use their political position to, uh, to set it to the sidelines. Uh, the way to change the educational system in Israel, which teaches a lot of uh, Jewish pupils a very one-sided view of society and politics, goes through changing Israeli politics in general. There's no other way other than uh, changing the position, shifting people's perception of where should our society go to. And standing together as a grassroots political movement set itself the goal of doing exactly that to create a new majority inside Israeli society that would allow us to advance towards peace, equality, and social justice through engaging in campaigns that uh, turns people's attention to the flawed policies 
of the current government that present alternative to the path pursued by them and who try to engage with our society not in order to slap it on the wrist, but in order to convince it to pursue a different path. It can be exemplified, for example, on the issue of the hostages, uh, Israeli hostages held in the Gaza Strip. There is a general consensus inside Israeli society that they are ought to be released. It's our government, rather than doing whatever is possible to negotiate an extension of the hostages deal and to allow them to return home safely to their families, is further pursuing the path of escalation and indiscriminate bombing and so on. And it shows that there is a crack on the wall, that the mass support inside Israeli society for the release of the hostages can come into clash with the hawkish and militaristic uh, policies pursued by the government. Absolutely. For example, in, uh, two days ago, it was published uh, in international press in the, uh, in the United States that there are plans underway on the Israel, for the Israeli army to flood the tunnels, the tunnel network that Hamas yes. built under Gaza Strip with water. Immediately raising the question inside Israeli society, is our government putting in harm's way the hostages, daily hostages yeah. held in these very same tunnels? Yes. Or is our government is so bent on its hawkish and adventurist and militaristic pursuit that it is willing to sacrifice the living hostages, among them elderly and children who remain in Gaza Street. And this comes to show that there are contradictions in reality and contradictions within Israeli politics that show that an opening is possible to turn public opinion against the government, to convince people that a different path is possible. Uh, Israeli society is not a monolithic society, because no society is a monolithic society. Israeli society has its progressives and its reactionaries, its left-wing and its right-wing. It has its rich and its poor, and standing together as a grassroots political movement, grounded in a vision of justice, intervenes in campaigns and struggles inside our society to draw people uh, into the course of peace and into the camp of equality, and such change is possible. We started eight years ago as an incredibly small movement of a few dozens. Now we've grown to a movement that has more than 4,000 dues-paying members throughout Israel, both Jews and Palestinians. And since October 7th, during the course of the war, we were able to mobilize thousands throughout Israel, both through our local groups of the Jewish Arab Solidarity Guard, as well as to attend our mass Jewish-Arab rally. I know that often in international media, including in the United Kingdom, this is not always portrayed. Israeli society from the outside might seem to be one big homogenous reactionary bloc, but it is a diversified society. Absolutely, yeah. And there are forces within that society, like my group standing together, that operate for change. We are grateful for the opportunity to address directly your audience abroad, to tell about our work, and uh, to shed light on the nuances inside our society and the possibilities also of optimistic and positive change. Absolutely. Uri, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's been uh, really enlightening to hear you know, how your organization has been 
helping to alleviate the fears and the concerns and the tensions uh, on the ground. And we wish you all the luck and we hope that, you know, we do find a peaceful resolution very, very soon. Um, thank you very much for joining us on the show and have a lovely rest of the day. So that was... Thank you thank so you. much and take care. Yeah. I mean, I know there was a bit of a delay in, yeah, the, a in, delay, the, in the audio, so but I'm sure, you know, dear listener, you will have um, heard some really interesting points that Absolutely. he's mentioned and how, Absolutely. you know, it's very difficult to overcome some of the fears that they do have. Um, but that was Yuri, the, the national field organization organizer for the Standing Together movement, um, you know, which is a movement for peace and anti-occupation um, in, in Israel. And that's what we want, isn't it? That's what we want to see. We want to see uh, ceasefires, but we want to see the conflict uh, finish, de-escalate, and then, you know, f- finish completely as well. We want to see total Absolutely. total peace. We'll listen to a, a brief audio clip of His Holiness, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Mr. Tahir Ahmed. May Allah have mercy on him and how he discusses the role of Palestine uh, and in the conflict between the Muslims and the Jews and why the Muslims which are suffering at the hands of the Jews if Muslims only you know if, 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 if the Muslims are supposed to be the righteous people as well what are they supposed to do and how can they better reform themselves also let's listen to his holiness and what he what he had to say in regards to this this was prophesied in the Holy Quran that twice will the Israelites be turned out of Palestine and twice they will recapture it and twice will they be tried if they conducted themselves well in the sight of Allah then they will not be punished but if they reverted to the old follies then they will be punished and turned out of Palestine and Palestine would be inherited by godly people, by the righteous people. So, unless this prophecy is fulfilled in both, uh, uh, in both manners, you know, there are two things mentioned in this prophecy. Number one, the Jews will recapture one day, in the latter days, the word latter days is uh, Wadul Akhara is the word used, is the expression used in the Holy Quran. In the promise of the latter days, Jews will be made to return to Palestine. This is a prophecy of the Holy Quran, nobody could alter it. After them, the land will be inherited by pious people. So if the Muslims of the time were already pious, why should they have come to Palestine at all? That means to say that at the time when, Mus- when uh, the Jews would recapture or re-enter Palestine, generally speaking, the Muslims would have been rejected by Allah as not pious. In the meantime, a pious community would be created from among them. And Jews will ultimately be made to leave Palestine in shame and in defeat. And that land would be inherited, Allah, by the God-fearing people of Allah. Ibadus Salihun, that is, those who do good deeds and who are pious, virtuous people. So Ahmadiyyat came to prepare that group which would ultimately inherit that land. 
and this phenomena went parallel side by side for a while. At one, on the one side we observe the fulfillment of the Holy Quran in the way of Jews recapturing Palestine. On the other side we see that community being prepared and being educated which would ultimately, inshallah, enter Baitul Muqaddas and uh, inherit it from Allah. So that was the words of the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmad, may Allah have mercy on him, speaking about the conflict between the Muslims and the Jews as well. And of course, the, you know, the promised land, which, is, which, is, which has been spoken to also. So we'll draw a conclusion to, to this part of the show. We'll move quite swiftly on to the next part of the show as well, which is about, um, which is quite interesting. And it's about how in the UK there is renewable rene- renewable electricity, but how close are we actually to to sustain that and make that long-lasting as well? It's something to actually look into because with all the, you know, there's different ways in which we can harness power. Yeah. And uh, and this is this is just this is just another way, isn't it? Um, renew you know renewables um, met a record forty eight percent of the UK's electricity needs in the first quarter of twenty twenty three, up from seven percent thirteen years ago. So progress is actually needed to meet the government's goal of a fully uh, decarbonized electricity system by twenty thirty five. But I don't know. I mean, we it's. Hopefully we do achieve that. I mean, we still go about twelve years for that. I mean, it's it's progress, but it's slow. It's progress, progress, but it's slow progress. At the same time, you hear news of like, you know, Rishi Sunak also then delaying some of those goals that we have, like you know, when it comes to the, you know, the production of you know diesel and petrol cars as well. He yeah. also delayed that as well. Um, so it doesn't seem like that's why there's a lot of activists who are like really against what the government's doing. I think this is just generally around the world as well. You know, the, you know, you heard about the Paris um, the Paris Agreement agreement as well. Where everyone, even America, <laughs> they're all agreeing to yeah. you know, to, to to turn towards renewable sources a lot more. Um, but you know, the thing is, is that the thing is, is that yes, we can do our bit, we can do our our, our bit, and we can try and reduce the amount of carbon emissions and all of this as well. Yeah. But if you look at the top five percent of the world, you know, the richest people, the top five richest people percent, right? Yeah, their carbon footprint is more than. 60 to 70 percent of the whole world they forgot their kind of and there was a study um um there was a report and it said that one of the celebrities one of the kardashians uh, uh, their carbon footprint is more than uh is more than pakistan's carbon carbon <laughs> footprint are you serious literally <laughs> that is a crazy thing that, to that was a, yeah, one individual one individual's carbon footprint is more than a whole country's carbon footprint as well I mean, if you if That's one person staggering. is going from one city to the other city, instead of taking the car, which will take about an hour, maybe an hour and a half, two hours, maybe a little more or less, right? No, I want to take the jet. I want to take the private jet, and that will get me there in about fifteen to twenty minutes. And you'll come if you're doing that multiple times in a week, and that is your daily routine. That is yeah. sort of something that you do on a norm. Your carbon footprint is huge, I mean, right? You don't. You That's say with, with, you say with great power comes great responsibility. Just yeah. to just to quote a yeah. very famous uh, movie that we know. Um, but, you know, it doesn't mean just because you can do something that you should do it. Exactly. If you have the power exactly. to, you know, take, you know, or the money or the wealth to, to take jet planes everywhere you want to go, Yeah, it doesn't mean you have to do that. 
you know, people need to be more aware of their environment, of those around them, how it's affecting them. They, you know, for, for them, it's like it doesn't affect them. They're, they're probably thinking of also a few more sunny days of the year. Um, but for other people around the world, people people on islands, people near the, you know, the ice is melting. Yeah, that's it's literally livelihoods being lost because exactly, of this. Yeah. exactly. I mean, you see tsunamis, earthquakes, all yeah. of these um, natural disasters happening as well. Yeah, uh, there was another, um, there was another earthquake and tsunami in in one of the east, far eastern uh, countries as well. The the altitude was uh, seven point something, and so it was quite, you know, it was quite, it was quite huge. But obviously, you know, talking a little bit more about renewable energy, yeah. let's speak to let's speak to our, our guest who's on the line with us, Professor Peter Connor, an associate professor of sustainable energy policy at the University of Exeter. Peace be upon you. Good morning, and welcome to the show, Professor. Good morning. Just uh, from the beginning, just from the outset, from the outset, talking about renewable energy, can you tell us a little bit more about that and uh, the benefits uh, of, uh-huh. of its use as well? Uh, well, there, there are quite a few different benefits. So the, the obvious one is the environment. So so at the moment, we produce quite a lot of carbon um, from from burning fossil fuels. And historically, most of our energy came from fossil fuels. Uh, so renewable energy allows us to, to generate power uh, from from a source which is, is renewable, basically. So so it naturally is is replaced as we use it. So, so if we use sunlight, for example, then... We, we get more sunlight in the next second and the next second and so on. If it's windy, then we just get more wind. So so it's a resource that we can exploit and, and it'll just be effect, effectively replaced. So we don't have any problems with, with, with carbon, but that also means we, we don't have any problems. If we use lots of renewables, then, then we also have issues like security of supply is, is addressed as well. So, so if the UK uh, generates a lot of power from renewables, then it doesn't have to buy oil or gas from 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 somewhere else uh, and basically that that means that it's it's not vulnerable to things like massive price spikes so obviously we're all paying high energy bills at the moment for for both our gas and electricity and uh, and and hopefully in the future we we won't have to we won't be vulnerable to to prices going up in the world um and there are the benefits as well there are things like new industries and um Hopefully, uh, we're seeing now that wind energy's got cheaper than nuclear energy, and so we might get lower energy bills as well. So, so basically, environment, security, of supply, cost—the sort of key benefits. I mean, Peter, it seems very logical to to be self-sufficient and to have, you know, our renewable energy as, as probably our main source of energy. I mean, what 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 is hindering us from getting to like a, you know, 100% renewable energy, just relying upon ourselves uh, rather than you know. You know, the, the prices are being hiked in, in different countries for for oil and gas, etc. Yeah, so I mean, there's there's quite a few big barriers. The biggest one historically has been that renewables tend to cost more than fossil fuels to start off with. Now we're getting to the point where where that's changed. So for wind energy and for solar energy, then then those those two technologies are now cheaper. So so we've got good data for this. This isn't just me sort of trying to be sort of very pro renewables. We can show that that wind and solar are cheaper now than using gas or coal. So, so, so that's. But the big problem historically has been getting to that position, and that's taken us, you know, a few decades. So we've been working on wind energy for forty or fifty years, but but we're there now. That problem still remains for other technologies like wave and tidal, for example. Um, then there are other problems. Um, so people who sell oil and gas to us so our energy companies are making a lot of money from it yeah. so, so they're, they're very keen for us to keep using what we've used before 
because they make a lot of money. Um, there are other issues. Um, people need to get used to the technology. They need to be persuaded that that it works. <laughs> um, so there are there are all sorts of other things. Um, obviously, in the UK, we've had an issue with planning for some things, which has been a particular policy because uh, the government hasn't very keen on wind energy. Uh, there are other issues as well. There are things like energy efficiency that we should be doing better as well. Um, so we actually use less of any kind of energy source. But there's there's a whole bundle of problems that we need to, to change institutional for things, financial barriers, uh, social barriers. Uh, but there's, there's a whole there's a, there's a, there's quite a few different things, and they're not easy to overcome. Some of them are quite legitimate uh, issues that, that have to be addressed, and we have to work with communities to to sort of try and realise all the benefits. Peter, talking about. Um, talking about climate change and how we can combat that as well. I mean, obviously, that's top of the agenda when it comes yeah. to these renewable energies. Do you think that this is the future then, uh, to use these renewable energies, and and that is going to be very proactive when it comes to combating um, climate change? Yeah, I think I think so, and 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 I think they're workable solutions now because well, I mean it might come as a surprise, but about forty percent of all our electricity comes from renewables right now in the UK. In, in Denmark, it's over 50%. So, so it is absolutely possible to to drive down the use of fossil fuels. And the UK has a commitment to to move from, from where it is now with about 12 gigawatts of offshore wind to, to the point where we have 40 or 50 gigawatts. So we're looking to, to increase our, our offshore wind energy by a factor of about four. So that's got um that's you know that's a real thing that we can do um and there's been you know you may have heard on the news there's been you know some fluctuations in in the prices but they're still lower than the price of gas um and and some and things like coal which we pretty much don't use anymore so so we know that we can get rid of fossil fuel power stations in favor of of renewables and there's still some challenges um so we're going to see a big increase in electrical demand if we all switch over to electrical cars and we're also talking about switching over to heat pumps in our homes rather than gas. And that's going to require, because both electric vehicles and heat pumps run on electricity, that means we'll have to build more renewable electricity in order to, to service those those cars and heat pumps. So that's a big challenge. Um, but, um, you know, this is, this is you know, we, we have already proved that we can we can displace, displace fossil fuels. And we just need to, to keep going, basically. It's never a quick thing. No. When we switch over from, from one energy source to another, we've done it in the past, and it, it can take, you know, it can take a decade. Final, final thing, Peter. Do you think we're going to meet our target for 2035? <laughs> I'm not totally convinced. <laughs> but but uh, I think we can make we can make good progress. And I, I think it's been harder to do, to do heat and transport than electricity. Because we all often think about it being electricity as being the thing we're talking about, but actually electricity is is uh, is only a fraction of our energy consumption. Um, so, so I think I think we can make good progress. I mean, I genuinely think we can we can we can get a long way towards decarbonising our energy supply uh, in that sort of time period. I don't think we'll be all the way there because I don't think we're going fast enough. But but we can get a long way there, and we can get to net zero. I think by 2050 with the right policies. Hmm. Uh, Professor, just before it's for you go as well, when it comes to getting rid of these uh, carbon emissions as well, one other thing which has come into come into the market, not not so much, but you know, it's being introduced as well, which is hydro hydro hydrocars. What what do you think about what do you think about that then? Do you think that's also 
something that can be mean, introduced. Do you mean hydrogen? Hydrogen and also uh, also water, where they use the uh, water to try and you know use the, use that as energy to to, to uh, fuel the cars. So, so so we we already use hydropower. Um, so it's about two percent of our um, electricity in the UK, and there's not really an opportunity to use very much more. Some countries have you know better water resources; they have mountains basically, uh, which is what you need. Um, so so countries like Norway are, are mostly hydro hydropower. Um, we're, we're also hearing about hydrogen at the moment and about the potential to use that. Um, and you may have seen an advert adverts for like hydrogen ready boilers for your home. Um, so so but. Um, that's pretty contentious to be honest so um, it'd be really expensive to do to do hydrogen in our homes but um but by using renewable energy to produce green hydrogen because you basically need electricity to, to break down water to hydrogen by by using excess renewables to to generate hydrogen then you can use the hydrogen then to to do things that you currently can't do um, without using fossil fuels. And I think we'll see things like using high temperatures to make steel or an industrial process this in factories. I think we'll start to see hydrogen used for things like that. But probably what we don't want to see is using hydrogen in our homes because mm. the, the efficiency is really bad. <laughs> so there are much more effective ways of doing that, much cheaper ways of doing yeah. that. But we, we are seeing the gas industry push for hydrogen because it means they can keep doing what they do mm -hmm. and make money off it. So, But we've got to be really wary of that because they've got a pretty powerful lobby and, yeah. uh, and they, they're, they're keen to, to keep keep selling gas to people in a different <laughs> yeah. form. Basically. I mean, that's where, that's where the money is as well, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Professor, I, I know I'm asking you. You know, we're asking you a, a lot of questions. This is one of the a lot of final questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is a lot of people think that uh, you know solar panels are good, but maybe okay. not so here in the UK because we don't get that much sunshine. Well, uh -huh. can you shed some light on, light on that as well? Excuse the pun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, um, no, they're they're pretty effective in the UK. So, um, I mean, obviously, you get more energy the more sunny you are. So, if you put yeah. if you put them in in the you know if you put a solar panel in the middle of Sahara, it's going to generate more power than if you you put it in the middle of London. But um, but it's still pretty effective. Essentially, we've seen a massive decrease in the cost of solar panels from about 2010 onwards. We saw a lot of different countries subsidise renewables, mm. and that meant that the the amount that's manufactured in the world has has really gone up. Mostly, uh, China does a lot of production of solar panels, and so the prices come right down. So. So you get more power now for for how much you spend on your solar power system. So so even you know four kilowatt panel on your roof at home is 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 generating power at fairly reasonable prices. Um, hmm. it, 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 it's 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 100% say every system is going to be totally economic, but but actually you know they're they're pretty good. And if you have price spikes like we did in the last year, then it's potentially your solar panels are a lot cheaper than paying, you know, 35 pence a kilowatt hour, uh, which is, is, you know, double what we're paying uh, a couple of years ago. So so that makes it more likely that solar panels would be useful. If you use them at scale, they're cheaper than if you use them at home as well. So they're mm. more likely to be, so it's about a third cheaper per unit energy uh, if you have a big field full of solar panels. So um, yeah, so they're they're pretty competitive. So and we've seen this in you know there's countries across the world that have got quite a lot of solar panels now that generated a significant fraction of their electricity from from solar. So um, 
Interesting. Yeah, we know it's a, it's a solution, and they'll they'll keep getting cheaper. I think so. They've been getting hopefully cheaper and cheaper. And there, there's, you know, there's there's whole thousands. I think it's about a thousand gigawatts now across the world, which is you know, quite more more than the UK. It'd be enough power to 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 power the whole UK if it was at times when it's sunny. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, they they are pretty effective now. They 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 weren't twenty years ago. You couldn't have yeah, yeah. very much with them, or it would have been super expensive. But now. Um. It's changed very, very significantly. Absolutely. Very, very interesting. Well, Professor Peter, thank you so much for joining us this morning and no answering all of our questions very eloquently. No, no problem. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a, have a lovely you. day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was uh, Professor Peter Connor, who's an Associate Professor of Sustainable Energy Policy at the University of Exeter. And, uh, you know, quite, very interesting listening to him. And obviously, obviously, when it comes to renewable energy, talking about that, and different methods, different things that we can use, uh, sources that we can use and harness and supply energy to, you know, to, I mean, wherever, to our homes, maybe to our cars, factories, all of these places as well. It's a very, very interesting stuff, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, we know it's the future. We know it is the future, but, you know, is the, is the government really looking forward to, to do this or, you know, are they cutting a deal? Also, with the it seems that they're thinking supplies. about the money in their pockets as well, so they want to save save money as well because I know it costs it costs a lot to get into that industry and to and to change it completely. Um, it does take time. I I I fail to to believe that we're meeting our targets. And I don't think we're meeting our targets. And you know, as I said, it has cons- consequences around the world that we cannot fathom right now if we just live our, in our own bubble mm. and we're just living our own lives. So, oh, it's fine. We you know we've got seven percent increase. Should be should be more, but it is what it is. For us, it's fine because you know we're not really affected by it. Yeah, in, we're in not that affected way. in the same way. But we need to think about the whole world because you know eventually that will affect us. What's happening in other places will affect us as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's there's lots of different stats in, in terms of like, you know, the the amount of electricity that we that we're producing uh, from these renewable sources, how it's helping us, and you know, around the world as well. You know, there's different types. There's hydrogen. We talked about. We talked about gas. Um, you know, even carbon. Your carbon footprints is a very important um, side of it where we can help mm. as, us as individuals can help to reduce our carbon footprint to to help with the you know re, re, stop we can stop <laughs> at least reduce the amount that we that we're affecting the ozone layer and and you know yeah. and polluting into society. Yeah, obviously, well. you can't get it to zero. Obviously, that's not it's not even it's not even possible. But obviously, trying to reduce that as much as possible yeah. to 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 assist. Um, you know, whatever you want to call it, global warming, climate change, uh, all of that as well. And it's you know, it's our duty. Just talking about it from a from a from an Islamic perspective, it's our duty to take care of the environment. Yeah. It's our duty to take care of uh, of the of the world that we that we live in. I mean, Allah the Almighty states in the Holy Quran to clean your surroundings and uh, clean your clothes and clean your surroundings. I mean, obviously that can be physically, but also. It can mean in this way as well that if you think that you're causing pollution, try and stop that. In fact, do stop that. Um, whatever you're, whatever you're, whatever you're doing, has a consequence on you know on the world, whether it's directly or indirectly. So keeping that in mind, keeping your, I mean, knowing that whatever you whatever you do has a has consequences because there's always a cause and effect. And whatever you're doing, if that has a if that has a negative effect on the environment, yeah, um, it might not affect you directly, but it can affect someone else. 
or it can affect you indirectly. I mean, like like you said in Islam as well, like we have been taught that you know human beings are like kind of the custodians of the earth. We're there. We're not just there just to live our lives and be selfish and to think about ourselves as alone, but we have to think about the whole world. We have to think about the 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 habitats that are being destroyed. We have to think about the animals. All of these things are our responsibility in a way. That's that's what we've been taught as as, as yeah. Muslims growing up, and so if we if we fail to do so, that will also play have a big effect on us. I remember watching one of the documentaries of David Attenborough where he mentioned. I think I mentioned this in, in a previous show as well. Mm. How we're not facing the extinction of the earth, we're facing the extinction of humanity. Yeah, because the earth will grow once again. It will regrow. It's got as it has in different places where there's yeah. been like you know nuclear meltdowns and stuff in uninhabited places by humans are but life finds roots once again but what we're doing is ruining the earth for ourselves as well yeah that's the thing we're going to make yeah. it uninhabitable for ourselves and it's our extinction we are we are facing not the entire earth yeah i mean that's that is quite powerful as well yeah. it's, it is some food for thought that you know what what are we doing are we Look at our carbon footprint. Like I like I mentioned before, mm. if you look at some celebrities, their carbon footprint is so huge that it literally equals, or even it's even more than some countries, some whole countries. It's yeah. more, it's more than that as well, and that puts it puts you into perspective that you know if some people might get, some people might have this sort of mentality that you know if they're doing this right, then what's the point of me taking the car? I'll, you know, I'll just take the car instead of walking. Instead yeah. of cycling, I'll just take the car. It's not going to make a difference. Mm. But the thing is, is that every small thing does make a difference as well. Yeah. Because there is, like I mentioned, there's a cause and there's an effect. If you're doing something, if you're having a mentality that yes, I want to help and protect the protect the environment, I want to play my bit. If everyone has that same approach, then yes, it will be beneficial. It will be proactive. It will be. It will do something to reduce the carbon emissions. To 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 use, do that as much as possible. We've got a a, a brief audio clip that we wanna that we wanna play for you guys as well, and that is going to be talking about how or the it's going to shed some light on the importance of the environment and how humanity has a role in sustaining it as well. It's like you mentioned, we have been placed on this earth as custodians of the of this earth as well as guardians of this earth. We must take care of it. Now, let's listen to, to this as well, which we'll shed some more light on this. Um, and that's in relationship to the, our human relationship with the environment, our interaction with it. And he says that, are we called to be stewards of the environment under the Islamic teachings? Um, and he also asks that, or is the environment just there for our exploitation and use? Well, Allah the Almighty is the creator of all, the creator of the universe is more than one. Is, is the master and that he has created all for is for our benefit and this is what he mentions in the Holy Quran that all that has been created has been created created for man and obviously something that has been gifted to us whenever someone gives a gift to a person and that person is expected obviously to cherish it if he loves that person and to look after it and and tries to maintain it in the condition that was given to him this is the gift that has been given to us so the universe is a gift that Allah the Almighty actually has given to the human race as such and everything that has been put in it has been put in it with a specific purpose. Everything that God has created has been created with purpose and nothing is without purpose 
and that is for the benefit of man who is the greatest of the God's creation. So this planet is, is, uh, is the place of our abode in this life and it is the duty of every man to be able to look after and cherish that planet and to make sure that the balance that God has created in the, in, in the universe is not disturbed in any, in any respect. And that brings you to the question of uh, the environment and how man looks after the environment. And this is something that we know that uh, is now fully researched as how man destroys the environment and what needs to be done to make sure that we are not uh, harming the in environment as well. In Surah Rahman, Allah says, "Ash-shamsu wal kamaru bihusban, wa najmu wa shajaru yasjudan, wa sama arafa aha wa wada al mizan." So you know, God is pointing out to us that the sun and the moon run their courses according to their fixed times, and the stemless plants and the trees submit to Him. Even the tiniest of stemless plants that they are submit to God Almighty as as the Creator. The heaven He has raised high above and set up as a measure that you may not transgress. This is the important thing, that you must not transgress the measure. Mm -hmm. And this is Allah, the Almighty pointing out to us that the universe, in fact, has been created with good measure and man must not do anything that will upset that measure, upset that balance. So it is our responsibility. Each individual person, each society, each community has this responsibility of looking around them and see how one must pay due regard, due attention to looking after the environment as such. And we know that there are many things that we are aware of now, uh, which man must do in order to make sure that yes, he uses the uh, uh, universe, the world as has been given to him and takes benefit of all that has been provided by God Almighty, but he does not misuse that to that degree. We talk about uh, deforestations, obviously, in parts of the world where trees have been cut down, you know, on a scale, and all the issues that they have caused uh, in those parts and other parts is something that we are well, well aware of. The Holy Prophet, you know, he discouraged uh, Muslims that when you go to war, when you conquer, you should not cut down trees, fruit bearing trees. And you know, that was given 1400 years ago. And now man is now realizing the importance of maintaining this balance by not cutting down trees unwantonly. And he gave uh, uh, advice on a Muslim that he, when he plants a tree, he looks after it, it bears fruit, birds eat of it, then that Muslim is rewarded for that good act that he has done. And that actually shows us the actual life cycle of different, uh, different uh, creatures. So that was just a brief audio clip uh, from one of the programs, uh, Faith Matters, and uh, spoke about they spoke about the importance of the environment, how we, it's our duty to take care of the environment, and uh, what our role and responsibility actually is. It's uh, it is very important that we that we actually do that. The Holy Quran has emphasised on that as well. The the the, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mizar Masur Ahmad may Allah be his helper. Somebody even asked him. What can we do to to help in regards to you know reduce the carbon emissions and all of these things as well? And His Holiness said that if every single person you know in in the, in the country plants two trees um, within the you know within a year, 
that's you know let's just say for example there's 30,000 people yeah so that's 60,000 trees which are being planted uh, obviously not everyone can do that you know there's some young people and old people but still more or less some can do more than others some as can well, do right? more than others <laughs> as well, of course of course but and let's just say 60,000 yeah. trees being planted and let's just say that's you know across Europe or a lot of the major countries that's going to do a, a very big difference I mean that's something which we promote as well within our Hamdi Muslim community is yeah. something that our youth we, youth we go out and we, yeah. we, we, we plan these activities and you know plant uh, tree plantings yeah um, even even things like litter picking mm. that's helping um, mm. the environment as well in a way by reducing the pollution and get, cleaning our streets and cleaning, cleaning the, the streets um, you know that, that kind of thing as well can affect the animals and you know habitats as well Will the, so getting absolutely. rid of that absolutely. is also one step that we can take practical step practical steps and that's what we want to do it's not just about it's not just about talking because talking can, uh, you know, it is good, but it's all about the actions as well. Yeah. And actions speak louder than words. And that's what, uh, you know, that's, I mean, with that, we'll sort of, uh, that, that brings a conclusion to, yeah. to the show as yeah. well. Uh, obviously, it was a jam-packed show with three different uh, segments that we, spo- that we spoke about. Very, very interesting topics as well. But uh, I guess it's too late yeah. now to ask anybody to call in. <laughs> so we it's run too late out, run out of time. We, we should call have asked in earlier. Well. We should have asked earlier. But still, <laughs> until next time, you can call in. You can call in next time as well. Yeah. Just to give you the number zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. If you want to call for the drive time show or the breakfast show for tomorrow as well. But of course, thank you to all the guests who took time out and uh, spoke to us as well. Of course, the producers and the researchers as well. Nafisa Amini, Sophia Shinwari. Hania Yaqub, Maliha, Razia Chaudhary, Mehrish Dogger, Jazba Khan. Uh, of course, the technical technical department, Akib Ahmed, Nuruddin. It's a pleasure to uh, present with you. Until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.